perish. That word vision there is the Hebrew word kazon. If you would, say it with me. Kazon. Very good. It's kazon. It literally means a divine vision or a divine revelation or a communication from God. And what God says is where there is no divine vision, where there is no divine revelation, where there is no communication from God, the people, the church, and its dreams will perish. So that's why I'm so excited about what God has called us to do over these next eight weeks as we explore together our eight core values of who God has called us to be. Last week, we looked at our first core value, intimacy with God. Say it with me, intimacy with God. We say it like this, we pursue God's heart. We pursue God's heart. Our communion with God will determine the impact of our lives, intimacy with God. And today we move into number two, which is relational evangelism. Relational evangelism. How many of you, uh, show of hands, congregation participation time, uh, how many of you know someone that needs to know Jesus? You know, someone that needs to know Jesus, I think that is the best response rate. Yeah, very good. Someone needs to know Jesus, very good. How many of you say, I just really wish somebody would reach that person for Jesus? I, I just wish some, Jesus sent somebody to reach them. Now, you guys already know what I'm doing. You're not raising your hands. Now, I, I wish somebody would reach them, right? I wish somebody would go out there and reach them. All right, hands up. I, say, I wish somebody would go reach that person for Jesus. Well, guess what? God is sending someone. And you know who that person is? It's not your wife. No, that's wrong. It's not your husband. It's you. It's you. I, I don't know. Maybe you're a lot like me. And growing up, uh, we'd have recess and we'd have gym class. And do you remember this? Like we would pick captains, right? And then the captains would pick their teams, right? And maybe you're a lot like me and you weren't always the first one picked. And you weren't always the, the first one picked. Okay, maybe quite honestly, you're a lot like me and you were the last one picked. Yeah, last one picked. I still hold it against them. Praise God. So last one picked. Well, here's the really good news. Jesus is picking teams and he is picking you. He's picking you. In fact, he says it like this in Matthew chapter five. He says, you are the, say it with me, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your light so shine before others that they may what? See your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, I pick you, your salt, your light, you're my hands, you're my feet. I choose you to share the gospel with someone today. Really simple, right? Except it's not. Because unlike those times on the ball field or those times in recess, this is one team not too many of us are excited to be picked for, right? Uh, we're like, Jesus, don't pick me. Uh, Jesus, pick somebody else. I don't know if you've ever been in a setting where somebody says, hey, who wants to pray for us? And the teacher looks around and everybody's like, no, don't, you know, don't look the teacher in the eye, right? Jesus, pick somebody else, but not me. And the question is, Why? Why don't we share our story? Why don't we share our faith? And what I want to do as we begin is look at three really brief reasons. Uh, here's why. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Many of us say, I don't know how. I, I, I don't know how. 
I'd love to share my faith, but I honestly don't know how. I don't know the Bible well enough. What if they ask me a really hard question I don't know the answer to? What if I confuse them even more and push them further away? What if, what if, what if, and I just don't know how? I don't know how. Secondly, some of us say, I don't know when. I don't know when. You know that you should. You know that Jesus wants you to reach somebody, but you're just not sure when the right time is. We all know that really pushy Christian, right? That really pushy Christian guy or pushy Christian gal, right? You know who I'm talking about. They're like, it's like they ate Jesus for breakfast or something. You know what I mean? Like for dinner last night, they had communion. I mean, that, that was their thing, right? So like you're sitting at the store or you're going to the movies or you're going out to eat. And they're like, hey, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you all about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. Hey, what's Jesus doing in your life today? What's Jesus saying to you today? You know what? I don't care because let me tell you what Jesus is saying to me today. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing in me today, right? We don't want to be that guy. We don't want to come across as that girl. And so we say, uh, I don't know when. I, I, I don't want to be over the top. I don't know if I have enough credibility yet. I don't know if we're close enough yet. And we don't know when to pull the trigger. We put it off and we put it off. Why don't we share our story? I don't know how. I don't know when. And then number three, if you're taking notes, I don't know who. I, I, I don't know who. And this is the one that is probably the most difficult to overcome. Uh, all of us know someone, we all raised our hand, right, that we know somebody that needs Jesus. But the truth of the matter is that the longer you've been a Christian, the fewer non-Christians you know. Uh, the longer you've been a Christian, for most all of us, this isn't everyone, but for most all of us, the longer you've been a Christian, the fewer non-Christians you know. And it's perfectly normal, Right? We want to spend our time with people that look like us, and people that act like us, and people that think like us, and people that believe like us. And so we, we spend our time with other Christians, and in the process, we insulate ourselves from the world around us. It's perfectly normal, but it's destroying our mission of living out God's story in our community. And many of us say, I don't know who, I know someone, a neighbor or a coworker, but I really haven't developed an intentional relationship with them and I can't share the gospel. I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know who. So that's why the way that we say our core value is so very important. Uh, we say it like this. It's our second core value. It's relational evangelism. Say it with me. Relational evangelism. I want you to read this with me. We connect the disconnected. We intentionally create space in our lives to build relationships that connect people with Jesus. We intentionally create space. Everyone say intentionally with me. Intentionally. We intentionally create space in our lives to build relationships that connect people with Jesus. And maybe you say, well, Andrew, is it really that important? Do we really have to do this? Isn't that why we pay you the big bucks? right? Isn't that why we pay our professors and our teachers? And isn't that why we have pastors? Isn't it their job to share the gospel? And what Jesus says is, no, every single one of us intentionally has the opportunity to build a relationship, to bring someone to Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Matthew chapter 10. 
uh, verse 32. And it also happens to be one of the scariest verses, I think, in, in all of the Bible, because Jesus says it pretty bluntly like this. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also, what? Say it with me. I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever, say it out loud, say it, whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You say, well, that's, you know, I'm not going to disown Jesus. You know, I wouldn't do that. And uh, the word here in the Greek really does mean uh, deny or reject, but it also has a secondary meaning, uh, which means to act like it doesn't exist, to act like it doesn't have any impact, to act like your life isn't any different because you know Jesus. And what Jesus says is, if anyone disowns me, if anyone isn't intentional, if anyone isn't sharing about me with others, he says, then I will also disown them before my Father in heaven. So, if this truly is a matter of eternal consequence, then how do we live out our value? How do we share our story? How do we live out relational evangelism? Three steps. I want you to, uh, to jot these down, share them on uh, social media. Uh, by the way, you may notice in the bottom left-hand corner of our slides, we have this really trendy hashtag. Isn't that really exciting? We are 2017. My staff told me I needed to get in this decade and put that on the screen. And so if you happen to be sharing on social media, uh, uh, put in that hashtag and that does something and it's going to be really exciting. So uh, very good. So how do we live out relational evangelism? Three steps. I want you to write these down, internalize them. Also, huge thanks to our team. I haven't noted this, but on the back of your bulletin, there's actually a space with sermon notes. That exciting? Yeah. A round of applause. Yeah. Um, uh, for the printer, yeah, and uh, put those on there, and uh, uh, very good. So I ask you to fill those in as you go and write them down. So number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The very first step is that we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. Jesus says it like this in Luke chapter 10. He, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what's he say to do? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but there's not a whole lot of workers. So what's he say to do? Is he get up and go right now? Get up and run out into the fields? Get up and get to work? He says, no. He says, first, spend time with me. First, ask me. First, spend time on your knees. Spend time in intentional intercession. Spend your time crying out for that person that you know who is lost because that makes all of the difference. In fact, the principle here is this. If you're uh, taking notes, you can write this down. Effective evangelism begins with intentional prayer. Effective evangelism begins with intentional prayer. At First Church, we say it like this. Your public life for God is only as effective as your private life with God. It's only as effective as the time that you spend with Jesus. It's not just the actions that matter. It's the relationship under the actions that make all of the difference. So it's similar to about 11 years ago. You know what? 11 years ago today was when my wife and I first started dating. 11 years ago today. Isn't that really exciting? And so let me tell you how it happened. Uh, we uh, were sitting in the car, 
and uh, we had been uh, going out on dates, but we weren't dating. You guys understand that distinction? Because it's really important that we were kind of seeing each other, but not just dependent. So anyway, we're going out on dates. We weren't dating. And so we were hanging out and I pulled up to her apartment and I dropped her off and we said goodbye. And I won't give you all the details of that. And so then she went to her door and then all of a sudden I'm getting ready to drive off. And all of a sudden she turns around, does kind of this U-turn and makes a beeline for the driver's side window. And she makes the motion, roll the window down. So I'm like, all right. Uh, what'd you forget? What happened? What did I do? And she looked at me, and these were her exact words, and I quote. She said, Andrew, are we going to do this thing or not? That's <laughs> what she said. Are you going to do this thing or not? Because there's other fish in the ocean, baby. So you better start fishing if you want to catch me, right? If you're going to do this thing or not. Well, what was she saying? She said, it's not enough to go through the actions, it's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to act like it. We really actually want to have the relationship that makes all of the difference. Your public life with God is what makes your private life with God. Your private life with God is what makes your public life with God effective. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Maybe you've got somebody in your life, you say, man, I, I, I just wish that I, I, I could reach them. And I've been talking to them. I've been inviting them. I've been sharing with them, but they just don't seem to change. The question I'd ask you is this. Have you spent some time in intentional prayer for that person? Spend some time on your knees and watch the Holy Spirit do his work. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. We spend time with Jesus. And the number two, we spend time with your story. Spend time with your story. It's a really neat story in Scripture, uh, John chapter 9. It's a man who was uh, born blind, and he comes to Jesus, and he wants to get uh, healed. And so what Jesus does is he actually spits on the ground, and he makes some mud out of his saliva. This is, you can't make this stuff up, right? So he makes some saliva, and then he smears it on the guy's face. Really exciting. And so uh, you say, I, I would never do that. Well, if you were blind, right, and it worked for you, guess what? You'd be good with it too. So he washes off the mud and he can see, right? And he's really excited. Who wasn't so excited were the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he had made mud on the Sabbath. Bad Jesus, right? Making mud on the Sabbath. And so they come up to this blind man and they say, hey, who did that? Who healed you? Who made mud on the Sabbath? What's going on here? It's, it's hard to sometimes follow the rationale of these Pharisees. It's similar to having a conversation, if you ever have, with my three-year-old son, right? So the other day, I'm sitting downstairs, and, and he comes running full speed. And he says, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Yes, Lucas. Daddy, 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 Daddy. Yes, Lucas, what do you need? Daddy, Mom told me that she can't pick me up anymore because she's got a baby in her tummy. And I said, that's right, Lucas, she can't pick you up anymore because she has a baby in her tummy. And he said, well, that's okay, Dad, because humans can still eat lobsters, right? <laughs> Whatever, man, whatever, right? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> this is the Pharisees, right? Uh, they're like, this guy's just been healed of his blindness. He's just been able to see. He's been born blind. And they're worried about a guy who spit in the mud and made mud on the Sabbath. It doesn't make any sense. 
And so look what the blind guy says in John chapter 9. He replied, look what they, he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But he says, one thing I do know. Say that with me, one thing. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. He says, all the rest of that stuff, it doesn't matter. I don't care because one thing I know, Jesus has transformed my life. What did he do? He shared a story. He shared his story. And it's so vital that we get this, First Church. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Because there's something radically powerful that happens when we share our story with others. In fact, we'd say it like this. Your story plus God's grace equals transformed lives. Your story, sharing your story, and the way that God has transformed you, God is able to take that and speak truth into the lives of others. God is able to take that and transform other lives through hope, through life, and through healing. So what's your story? What has God done in you? Maybe you say, well, Pastor Andrew, I, I, I don't have much of a story. I grew up in the church, I got saved in an early age, never did anything too horrible that my parents found out about, right? I mean, that's just kind of, that's, that's my story. Then that is your story. Listen, think about all the things that God has saved you from. Think about all the things that God has protected you from. The fact that you don't have a story is your story. And God can use that to transform other lives. Uh, maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Andrew, I, 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 I do have a story, but I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about my past. There's too much hurt. There's too much pain. There's, there's too much shame in the past. I don't want to think about it. And what you do is you block it out. You hide from it. You act as if it never happens. And, and let me tell you respectably this morning, let me ask you respectfully this morning, please don't. Please don't. Please don't block it out. Please don't hide it away. Please don't act as if it didn't happen because God wants to use your story to give hope to someone else's life. There's someone else that needs to hear your story. There's someone else that needs to know what you've been through. And there's someone else that needs to know that if God can save me and God can save you, then he can save them too. A, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, we had our, our baptismal uh, service and uh, the most powerful uh, story, uh, I think, of, of all the ones uh, that were shared, if you're here for our, our brother David, and he shared his story on, on the video. And as, as he was doing his video, and as he, he shared it with me before the video testimony, I said, David, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you for not hiding, because God is going to take that story and he is going to transform someone else's life. God's going to take a story of a man who was in darkness, of a man who, is, who, who, was, who, who was in sin, a man who was as far from God as you could get, and brought him back into the light. And God is going to do that for someone else too. Praise be to God for the vulnerability of those that are willing to share their story. Share your story. Don't hide. Maybe you say, well, I don't know how. I don't know. Just do what the blind man did. One thing I know, I was blind, 
but now I see. I, I, I was an addict, but now I'm clean. I, I was angry, but now I can forgive. I, I was bitter, but now I've been released. I was greedy, but now I'm generous. I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. I was in shame, but now I'm out in the open. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I am alive again. That's your story. It's your one thing, and God can use it. Don't hide it. Don't stay away from it, because your story plus God's grace equals transformed lives. Amen? Thanks be to God. That's really good preaching. So very good. <laughs> Thanks be to Jesus. Somebody's going to get excited. All right, number three. Here we go. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with your story. And then don't miss this because this is, what, this is the thing that pulls it together. Spend time with the disconnected. Spend time with the disconnected. What do we do? We intentionally build relationships that connect people with Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus has this, this great encounter with a tax collector. Uh, we don't still like taxes much today, right? But it was much worse back then. This is the lowest of the low, the, the, the rejects of society. And look what Jesus does in verse 27. Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, we also know him as Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and did what? And followed him. What's happening here? In a moment, in a flash, Jesus has transformed this man's life. He's never going to be the same. His story met God's grace, became God's story of radical transformation, right? And so I want you to see what he does. Then Levi held a what? A great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of who? Tax collectors and others were eating with them. What's the first thing that Levi, that Matthew does as soon as he meets Jesus? He throws a party. He throws a party. And who does he invite? All of his lost friends. All of the sinners. All of the disconnected. All of the people that don't know Jesus. Why? Because Matthew knew this. If Jesus can transform my life, then Jesus can transform theirs too. And all I've got to do is intentionally create this space in my life where they can be connected with Jesus and their life will never be the same. At First Church, you might think this sounds a little bit crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think at First Church, we need to start throwing a whole lot of parties just like Matthew. I think we need to get really good at throwing some Matthew parties, right? Where the disconnected and the lost and the broken can come in and have an encounter with the risen Savior. Amen? So the problem with that is that when you start throwing Matthew parties, things get a little bit messy. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable, right? And so we see this again with our friends, the Pharisees, right? Uh, they come up to Jesus and they say, what do you think you're doing? What are you doing? You're eating with tax collectors? You're spending time with sinners? What do you think you're doing? And Jesus says this, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. 
I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does Jesus say in a very kind son of God way? He says, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you think about my methods. I don't care what you think about my parties. I don't care what you think about the people that I hang out with because this is why I'm here. This is why I came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He says, I'll leave the 99 righteous just to find that one. He says, I'll do anything to reach anyone with the good news of salvation through me. Anything to reach anyone. And First Church, I think I'd be so bold as to say this. If this is what our God does, if this is who our God is, then that must be who we are too. If that's how Jesus acts, that's how we've got to act. If that's how Jesus is, then that's how we have to be. And people might look at us a little bit weird, right? Other people, other Christians, potentially even other churches will say, what in the world does first church think they're doing? What happened to those people, right? Did you hear what they did on Sunday? Did you hear who showed up to their service? Did you hear what's happening in their building during the week? And we'll say it doesn't matter because we're just following Jesus. (laughs) We're just doing what Jesus does. If that's who Jesus is, then that must be who we are too. First church, this is who we are. We are relationally evangelistic. We connect the disconnected. We intentionally build relationships with people that connect them to Jesus. And I want you to hear me say this. We don't just talk about it. We don't just sing about it. We don't just preach about it. This is who we are. This is who God has called us to become. So if you have your bulletin, I'd I'd like for us to close this way. If you have a bulletin on the very back, if you don't, you can pull out a piece of paper. Uh, There's a question there at the very bottom. And it says this, who is God calling you to connect with him today? Who's God calling you to connect with him, to build an intentional relationship, to bring them into relationship with Jesus? And what I want you to do as we close is I want you to write the name of one person down. Just one. I don't want three. I don't want five. I don't want 10. I don't want people, hey, I'm so pumped up. I'm going to go reach the whole community for Jesus. Well, praise God for you. But rein it in. Just one. Just one person right now. Because I've seen this done where, where you make long lists of people that need to know Jesus, and then a week passes, and two week passes, and a month passes, and you get discouraged, and you think, well, I can never reach that many people, so I'm not going to reach anyone. One person that needs a relationship with Jesus. You say, why do we do this? There's a story that Jesus tells uh, in Luke chapter 14 about another guy that, that threw a party. The problem is at his party, all the people that he invited didn't show up. And so he sends out his servant and he says, hey, go out and find the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame and bring them in because I want my house to be full. And the servant says, master, we already did that, but there's still space. There's still room at the table. What are we going to do? And I want you to see what the master says in verse 23, Luke chapter 14. Then the master said to the servant, he says, go out to the roads into the country lanes, and say it with me, and compel them to come in. Why? So that my house 
may be full. Compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Here's the thing that I've never figured out in my years of ministry uh, at any church is this. I still don't know what God can do through an empty seat. I don't know what God can do in our church through an empty pew. Jesus says, compel them to come in. Compel them to come in so that my house may be full. And I want you to hear me say this, First Church, God doesn't care about the numbers. So I don't care about the numbers. Don't tell my boss, right? I don't care. But every number is a life. And every life has a story. And every single story matters to God. Everyone matters. So he says, compel them to come in so that my house may be full. If you've been around First Church for any period of time, you know that we do everything that we do with excellence. We have excellent worship. We have excellent Sunday school. We have excellent events. Some weeks you get excellent preaching. Just depends, right? We do everything with excellence, right? But what God says, it's not enough to throw a great banquet. The house has to be full. And right now, one out of every two people in our community has no relationship with Jesus. One out of every two people you'll interact with this week have no relationship with Jesus. And all God's asking us to do today is this. Each one, reach one with the good news of Jesus Christ. How are you going to do it? You spend time with Jesus. You're going to spend time with your story. And then you're going to spend time with that person. And you're going to watch as that very same Jesus that changed your life begins to transform them too. Jesus, we come before you today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to visit and speak to us. Do it in the way that only you can. Heads bowed, eyes closed, uh, no one looking around. Uh, today, the Holy Spirit has, has, has spoken uh, to so many of our hearts. And what I believe is that every single one of us in this place... God has laid a name on your mind. He has flashed their image in front of your face. You can see them right now. And you know that they need Jesus. And maybe you say, you know what, Andrew, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But I want to ask yourself this. Do you honestly believe that that person's life would be better if they had a relationship with Jesus? Do you honestly believe that person's life would be better if they had a relationship with Jesus? Would their family be better? Would their marriage be better? Would their children be better? Would their community be better? Would their eternity be better if they knew Jesus? Because if you believe that, then you're not selling them something. You're not promoting something. You're not trying to manipulate them. You're simply holding out the words of life and saying, God changed me so God can change you too. I wonder how many of you this morning would say, God's laid somebody on my heart. And before God and before his people today, I commit by the end of this year, I commit to make every effort to connect that person with Jesus. Invite him to church. Invite him to dinner. Take him out to coffee. Spend time in their home. Visit them at work. Creating intentionally, uh, uh, intentional space in our lives to connect that person with Jesus. God speaking to your heart today and you say, that's me. I know someone and I commit to do it. Would you lift up your hand right now, right where you are? Hands up everywhere. I commit to do it right now. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks be to God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the way in which your Holy Spirit does the work. Jesus, we realize that when we share our story, when we go into the life of someone else, we never get there first. Your Holy Spirit has already showed up. And your Holy Spirit is already working in their hearts and already drawing them to to yourself. We're simply your vessels. We're simply your tools. Lord, give us courage and give us boldness. It's going to be so easy to walk out of this place and forget about it, to lose our bulletin, to lose our slip of paper, to not think about it. But there's someone's eternal destiny on the line. And today we commit before you to reach one person for Jesus. As we continue to pray, head bowed, eyes closed. There are some of you here today that Jesus has brought you to this moment in your life for this particular purpose. You've heard stories of how Jesus has transformed lives. You've heard stories about the way that Jesus can, 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 can heal a blind man. You've heard a story about the way that Jesus can save a tax collector. And you say to yourself, if God could save that person, if God could transform that person, then surely can't he change me? And today maybe you say, you know, Pastor Andrew, I've, I've got a story. And it's not a very good one. I've made some bad decisions. I've gone the wrong way. Uh, maybe you're here today, you say, I haven't done anything horrible, but if I had to be honest, my heart has grown cold today. The passion and the fire, just not there. And today, you realize you need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Today, you need to either start out or you need to start over in your relationship with Jesus because you know that he has a purpose for your life. You know that it's not just about you, but that your story plus God's grace can be used to transform so many lives. And today it starts with you. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. He's saying it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad it got. It doesn't matter how far you've run because I love you. I forgive you. I gave my life for you to bring you back into relationship with me. If that's your prayer today, you say, I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I need a relationship with him. God's called me to incredible things, but it's got to start right here, right now with me, starting out, starting over with Jesus. If that's your prayer today, you said, I need forgiveness and I need Jesus. Would you lift up your hand high right now? Praise be to God. Hand up high right now. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. There's two together. Who else? I need God right now. Thank you, sister, down here. Who else? I need God right now. Right now, I need Jesus. I need a Savior because I know it's going to create a domino effect. It's not just going to be me, but God's going to speak to so many others through me. Don't miss this chance. Your spiritual enemy wants to stop you because if he can stop you, he can stop all those that come after you. Anyone else today? Praise be to God. That's me. Thank you, Jesus. At First Church, no one prays alone. We always pray together as we enter into the kingdom of God. Would you pray along with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I need a relationship with you. Come and change my heart. Make me new. I give you my life so I can have yours. And from this day forward, I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First Church, can you thank God for lives that are transformed every single week?
in his presence. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.